So as you know, we've been talking a lot about stones in this Lenten season here at St. Joe's. Take away the stone. Take this stone away, take that stone away. Jesus takes away stones. He calls us to take away stones. Stones of prejudice, stones of regret, stones of fear. But not every stone is meant to be immediately taken away. And so I'd just like to briefly remind us that in this famous passion account of Jesus, and we've all heard it many, many times, one or two of us, this is our first passion, but get ready, you'll hear it many more times. There are three stones. The first is the stone of the regret of Judas. The second is the stone of regret of Peter, And of course, the third stone is the one that gets sealed at the end. I've said all along that regret is one of the most powerful stones we encounter. You see that in the raising of Lazarus. Well, think about the regret of Judas. That word is literally used. For him, it's a stone that he simply cannot believe would ever mean anything other than something to destroy him the regret that he feels, he can see no way out, he can see no sense of redemption, let alone forgiveness. And in the face of that stone of regret, all he can do is exercise the one bit of control that is still left to him. It's too late, he can't undo what he did, he can't take Jesus to safety, and so he exercises the only control that he has and literally takes his own life. The stone of regret for him is never meant to be taken away. Now look at the stone of regret of Peter. He too betrays Jesus. You might say, well, not in the same way, but for Peter, it's every bit as devastating because Peter heard from Jesus' own lips that this stone of betrayal would be coming. And what does Peter do with that stone of regret? He allows himself Whatever it might look like, he allows himself to be sealed behind it, at least for a time. And if you notice, in all the Gospels, in all the Gospel accounts, the last we see of Peter on that terrible night is his withdrawing in shame and regret after betraying Jesus. And we never see him again until after the resurrection. He's behind that stone of regret but he allows himself to be there. He allows himself to be taken there. He allows himself to sit with his relationship with Jesus, even as Jesus is on the cross, breathing his last. But for Peter, that is still a live, intimate relationship. It's the one he's lived through for the last three years of his life. And so the stone of regret for him, it's there. It's not immediately taken away. Nobody says, hey, Peter, it's all right, you can come. But he allows himself to be there, to be sealed, if I can put it that way, in his own little tomb. We don't know what was going through his mind and heart in those terrible hours, all through the night, all through Friday, all through what we call Saturday, all through the resurrection. We're not told one word of what was happening to Peter But clearly, amazing transformation was being undergone. Because when we do see him next, he is literally a new man. 
He gave himself the opportunity that G Judas never did. Two stones of regret and two very different outcomes because those stones were viewed in very different ways. And so even though all we've been saying, almost ad nauseum, take away the stone, roll away the stone, get rid of those stones, sometimes those stones play a necessary purpose as long as we don't allow them to be that which seals us away for eternity. And then, of course, you have the third stone, the one we most directly recognize. If Jesus says, take away the stone from Lazarus' tomb, an even heavier stone is placed in front of his own. He doesn't say, take away that stone, at least not immediately. He doesn't say, no, no, we're not going to go in there. The church decorated itself so nicely, let's just jump to Easter. He goes in and he allows the stone to be rolled and even sealed in Matthew's account. Because what happens there behind that stone in the sealed tomb makes all the difference in the world, of course, and it's what brings us here. And what I love about Passion Week is that we start with the sealed tomb. And we have all week long, seven long days, to stay there behind the stone. And it's such a mistake if we simply say, well, okay, we see what's happening to Jesus. We can't all make it to church on Good Friday, so it's good that we work our way through the Passion now. Instead, take advantage of this liturgical circumstance. Yes, we'll read the Passion on Good Friday, but we're reading it now, tonight. And so ask yourself, and I ask myself, what stone maybe do I need to allow to be in place, at least for a little bit? Because the temptation is to say, no, I want to take control. I want to remedy this situation. What can I do? I just had the extraordinary privilege, as any priest will tell you, of hearing confessions of celebrating the sacrament of reconciliation. But what sometimes is heartbreaking is that people can come in and through no fault of their own, maybe see themselves acting in God's place. They've made themselves judge, jury, condemner, thinking that that must surely be how God sees them. And not just taking the time and the patience and the quiet to say, all right, Lord, here I am. I have nothing to bring. Judas took charge and we know what he did. All Peter could do was sit back because he literally had rendered himself helpless. He knew that when he tried to speak on his own behalf, he was only making it worse. And all he could do is sit back and try to let himself be loved, even in his grief. And so what does that look like for you and me? When there is that temptation to fix or repair what had been done, to try and change things. If only I could go back and alter. If only I could make it different. What do I need to do? And sometimes that is the right course of action. But sometimes we're meant to sit behind the stone, at least for a while. And we can't kid ourselves here. I think we know the difference. I think we know when, if we just try to take charge, we're only going to make things worse. And all we can do sometimes is to passively sit back and allow ourselves to receive. To first look at ourselves with real honesty. 
letting all facades fall away, no lies here, no self-deceptions. This is who I am in my brokenness, in my vulnerability. But then to receive, to recognize that God doesn't see me the way I see myself, thank God. That God doesn't see me perhaps the way I imagine other people see me, or perhaps the way they actually see me. That God can see through it, can see through the stone, but doesn't immediately take it away. Because sometimes we need a stone to hold us down enough to allow for some transformation to happen. And so whatever that might look like for you, just maybe a little spiritual exercise as we move into this Holy Week, and to say, where do I need to be held down, held back for just a little bit? Where do I need to become a little more self-reflective? Where do I need to allow myself to receive from God instead of simply saying, Lord, give me my marching orders. What do I have to do? How do I fix this thing? Surely you can tell me what I need to remedy my bad choices. Maybe Peter felt that way at the beginning, but by the time he made the third denial, I think he probably realized all I can do is sit back in the shadows helpless in a way. And of course, what we know is that something was wonderfully, but probably very painfully and poignantly transformed in his mind and in his heart. But he gave himself the opportunity that Judas never did. Roll away the stone, roll away the stone, roll away the stone. But at least for this week, allow God to roll it into place and allow him to let it stay there, but take advantage of the opportunity, as I hope I can as well. Lord, in the darkness, in the quiet, in the silence of the tomb behind the sealed stone, convert inside of me whatever truly needs to change.